If you have some scriptures and want to follow along, I will take our study today from John, John chapter 1, and we'll look at a few verses in John chapter 1, and I'll come out here a little closer so you can hear me more easily. John chapter 1, let's read, I'll read for you the first five verses, and then we'll drop down to verse number 14 and read a few verses from there. But we'll start with John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse number 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, the only Son who is God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. As we examine these scriptures, we see that John, the Apostle, introduces us to Jesus Christ. You probably remember John, one of the disciples. He was a fisherman, along with his brother James, sons of Zebedee. They had a nickname. They called them Sons of Thunder. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what that means, but they must have been rather sturdy fellows and strong and boisterous, I'm guessing, from the term. One day Jesus walked along the seashore and saw them and called them to be his disciples, and John and his brother James left their fishing business and followed Jesus. Many years after the life of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, John wrote this gospel. He wrote it after all of the other Gospels had been written. It was the last of the Gospels. The earlier Gospels concentrated upon Christ and his kingdom. John took a different approach. He concentrated upon the person of Jesus. And throughout his Gospel, he explained Jesus and proved to his readers the deity of Christ, and how he fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. So he took a slightly different approach in his gospel, and we see it right at the beginning of this gospel, starting in chapter 1, because he begins to explain to us and describe to us this unusual man, Jesus. He starts by calling him the Word. The Word describes 
someone who brings a declaration from another. A word of explanation, a word of description. And John initially calls him the Word. And it tells us that the Word, this person, was in the beginning with God. Furthermore, he was God. He was equal with God. Not a normal human being like you and me. A different kind of man. One who took part in creation. It says, without him was not anything made that was made. And we can say with truthfulness as we examine the beauty around us and the plants and the flowers and those plants that you have in your residence where you live and the animals and the birds that we see, Jesus, the Word, created them. Then we notice a progression. John started describing his deity, that he was God. He existed with God in the beginning. He took part in creation. He then tells us that this word, this person who came to declare God and his message, took flesh, took on himself a human body, just like you and just like me. Hands, arms, feet, legs, head, hair. Like me, he grew a beard. He worked in his father's carpentry shop as a youth. The Word became flesh. And it describes for us this image, this man, this God-man. This one who had two persons inside of him, two natures. He had the nature of humanity like us, and yet at the same time he had within him the very nature of God. The Word was God, and the Word took flesh. And John outlines for us some of the attributes of God and God's nature that this man, Jesus, exhibited and demonstrated it says we have seen his glory and then it describes a little bit about his glory that glory that was of the father and we read in other scriptures in the New Testament a description of this glory it was a splendor it was a resplendent glory that he demonstrated and revealed in his person the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. A glorious nature demonstrated through Jesus, the man. Then we read further. It says he was full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Grace grace besides it having the connotation of a a lovely name for a, a woman it carries with it all significant meaning 
grace describes unmerited favor. We know what it's like to earn something. We've all had a job at some time or other in our lives, and we looked forward to the paycheck, whether it came weekly or monthly or however periodically it came, we looked forward to receiving that paycheck because we earned it. We fulfilled our responsibilities for our employer and according to our understanding they would pay me a certain amount of money for what services I rendered for the employer. That's not grace. You earned it. That's wages. Grace is something you didn't earn. That's grace. Grace came through God demonstrating through His Son, Jesus. Did we deserve Jesus? No, we didn't deserve Jesus. God gave Jesus out of grace. Unmerited favor. Grace came through Jesus. And then another attribute of God demonstrated through Jesus, truth. Truth comes in short supply in our day, doesn't it? (laughs) All you have to do is turn on the television or listen to the radio or listen to your neighbor and you can get your mind full of untruth, false reporting. Jesus brought truth. Truth that fits you and me in our land today. Truth that fit men and women in the day in which he lived. Truth which fits men and women regardless of where they live upon our globe. Regardless of their circumstance. Regardless of whether they are men, women, boys or girls. Rich or poor. Regardless of nationality. Truth is truth. And it fits all conditions, all natures. Jesus brought truth. Truth about himself. Truth about God the Father. Truth about you and me. Sometimes we don't like to hear the truth, do we? But in the end, when we know the truth... The truth sets us free. Jesus came to reveal the truth. An unusual man, this Jesus. The Word of God, one with the Father, took human flesh. All the writer describes it this way, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Jesus took flesh, that He might bear in humanity the very being of God in His nature. John gives us another description about the Lord Jesus, this word of God, this declaration of God. It says he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He lived where we lived. 
That's an interesting word dwelt among us, but what it literally means is to take up residence. Another term used to define it is tent. He tented among us. Another word is he tabernacled among us. Now we've come across a couple of those words in our studies over recent weeks, haven't we? They sound a little bit familiar to you. He tabernacled, he templed, and we've studied in the Old Testament God's giving the tabernacle for his people Israel. And we've talked about the temple in the Garden of Eden. And we've talked about the temple that Solomon built that replaced the tabernacle with a permanent structure. And we've talked about the, those three examples of God's residence upon earth, how he took up his presence and came among his creation and among his people. First in the Garden of Eden, then the tabernacle, then the temple. Now God came down in a unique way. He tabernacled and templed in human flesh. Not a building, not a spectacular temple, not an ornate building. Flesh. The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Jesus became a living temple. A living tabernacle. Now just stop and think for a moment. When you think about a tabernacle or a temple, we think of it as a place of God's presence. As we think back in the Old Testament, that occurred. God's presence came down in the Garden in Eden came down in the tabernacle with the children of Israel, came down later into the temple that replaced the tabernacle. God's presence came and resided there. God took up His presence in those temples. In the same fashion, God took up His presence in human flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus became the place, his body, his life became the place of God's presence on earth and dwelt among men and women of that day. In another way, we think of a tabernacle or a temple as a place of sacrifice. Again, we look back in the Old Testament and we see times where where God used those places as opportunities to forgive sin and to provide sacrifices and encouragement to people like you and me, sinners like you and me, where they could find relief and forgiveness for their sin. It started in the Garden in Eden after they sinned. God came to them with the promise, I will provide the seed of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. The tabernacle was a place where the priests made sacrifices and made offerings on behalf of people who would come and bring their offering and their sacrifice with them. 
And at the place of the tabernacle they would offer those offerings and sacrifices unto God, which he had designed as a means by which sinners could find forgiveness for sin. A means by which they could gain access to God through the priests at the tabernacle. And the temple, as it replaced the tabernacle in permanence, it continued that same provision for people. A place of forgiveness. A place where they could find atonement for sin. A place where they could have and recognize God's presence among them. In the same fashion, Jesus provides a place for forgiveness. Some of those in that day remarking about Jesus asked the question, Who is this who forgives sin? For on occasion, Jesus would come to someone who was ill or infirmed and he would forgive their sin. And the religious leaders of that day challenged him, How can you do that? How can you forgive sin? Nobody can forgive sin but God. Yeah, that's right. No one can forgive sin but God. But Jesus was God in the flesh. So thus he could forgive sin. Jesus again becoming a living temple by providing forgiveness of sin. And we dare not overlook that greatest of all transactions whereby he took upon himself the sins of people like you and like me and paid their penalty on the cross to satisfy the demands of God. Back in the garden, God said the soul that sins will die. Death came upon all men. No ability to reconcile ourselves back to God. No way for us to atone for our sin. Oh, we try, don't we? Yeah, we do. We try to do good things and we try to keep kind of a mental ledger. I've done ten good things today and only two or three bad things. and, And we think that in some fashion we've atoned for our sin. No. No. You can do nothing to atone for your sin. But Jesus, the living, breathing temple... God's presence on earth the place of forgiveness for sin he went to the cross and paid atoned for the sin of people like you and like me the scriptures tell us that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin in order that the righteousness of God might be demonstrated and revealed and given to us. Jesus became the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices that God gave to the children of Israel at the tabernacle and that they used there and then in the temple for hundreds of years. Jesus fulfilled them all. They're done away with no longer have any merit or use. Jesus 
became the final sacrifice. He, the great high priest, offered up himself as the ultimate sacrifice to pay and satisfy and atone for the sins of people like you and me. Yes, Jesus became a living temple. How do you think the people in the day of John viewed his gospel as he sent it out to them? Why did he write it? What purpose did he have in mind in chronicling the life of Jesus and describing him and revealing him to people? Why did he do that? He tells us. We don't have to guess. He tells us in John chapter 20. At the very end of the chapter, the last two verses of chapter 20, so if you find chapter 21, just go up two verses and you'll find the passage. John tells us why he wrote what he wrote about Jesus. And this is what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. The book of John includes a lot of them. He includes a lot of them that the other Gospels didn't include. And so John is saying, I've included many things about Jesus and described him in many ways. But I didn't do it all. Not everything about him did I include. But these I did include. I did write these. I did write these so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John had a main purpose in writing his book. He wanted to reveal the personality and the nature of Jesus Christ and prove Him the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the promised seed from the Garden of Eden traced through the lineages of time to come to its conclusion and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know that. Furthermore, he didn't want them just to know the truth, but he wanted them to stake their very lives upon that truth. Because he said, not only did I write these so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but that by believing you might have life in his name. John wrote his gospel so that sinners like you and like me might come to know the nature of Jesus Christ, that we might not just believe upon him as a historical figure but as the Savior He is. That trusting in Him we might have life in His name. Therefore we have a responsibility. What changes do you need to make in your life because of the truth? of Jesus Christ. 
we have a higher value and understanding of Jesus. We see him differently other than just a prophet, a good man, a teacher, but as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. And we place a higher value upon him because of our knowledge and understanding gained from John's Gospel. Because we value him more highly, we love him more dearly. A Savior, Redeemer, the one who has made a way for us to experience reconciliation with God, atonement for sin. How can you not love Him? And how can you not love Him more because of a greater understanding of who He is? And having loved Him more and our love for Him growing and increasing, we now want to conform our lives to the truth and make Him central in our lives. For some of us, it might call for us for the first time in our lives to repent from our sin. Some of us, perhaps up to this time, have never believed Jesus and trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. We have viewed Him as a good man. We celebrate Easter and Christmas. We try to live like Him and failed. We must turn from our self-reliance. Turn from our self-righteousness. Turn from our sin. Repenting, that's what it means, is to turn from that and to trust Christ alone. I don't know what you might trust this morning as the means by which you might satisfy God. If you trust anything other than Jesus Christ, you have failed. Because God has provided Jesus as the only Savior. The only one through whom you can experience forgiveness of sin, atonement for your sin, and reconciliation with God. And so this morning, if you have never trusted Christ in that fashion, then I call upon you to trust Him. Turn and trust the living Savior. Then for some of us, we can say, yes, I have trusted Christ. I do trust Him. God gave to us, through His Son, the Lord Jesus... A command. He said, as you go through life, talk about me. Tell others about me. Teach them about me. And I will give you the authority and the ability that you need in order to do that. Because I want to extend my temple presence through you by the Holy Spirit throughout all the earth. 
I created the worlds and everything they're in for that purpose initially. And I still have that as my plan and purpose. And I intend to fulfill it through you, my messengers. Do you do that? He may not call you to teach a Bible study. Or to stand in front of large audiences and crowds to do that. Maybe it's just a neighbor. Maybe a family member. Maybe just a sign of encouragement and love to someone who hurts. But God has designed that each of us have a responsibility to spread His presence throughout all the earth. And He has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to accomplish that. One day we will stand at the day of consummation when all of it will come to completion. And we will, with men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation, give praise that says to the Lamb who sits on the throne. That's Jesus. God will fulfill His purpose. And He will accomplish it through people like you and me. I pray that the Spirit of God will bring to you today that which you need. If you need to turn and trust in Christ today for the first time ever in your life, I pray the Spirit of God will bring you the strength and the ability to do that. And the faith to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And for those of us today who have trusted Christ, may we find encouragement and strength from the work of the Spirit of God in us to fulfill the responsibilities that He has given to us to take His presence through our world and ultimately then spreading throughout all the earth. Let's close our time together in prayer.